Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before starting today's case, I just want everyone to know that I strive to give you the pure facts. And so that way you can take that information and make your own judgments. I do not know what happened to Kendrick Johnson, nor do I feel comfortable stating for a fact that I know. But what I do want to do today is to get this story out there so that way Kendrick will finally get the investigation that he deserves. So grab your advice of choice. I'll be knitting. My name is Sophia Talley and this is True Crime In It. Today on the show, I have fellow podcaster and half of mother-daughter team, Jasmine of Knitmore Girls. Jasmine, say hi. Are you ready? Did I say your name right? As long as you call me, I'm happy. But yeah, I'm Jasmine. Nice to meet you. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I'll be knitting while we listen to Kendrick's story. Awesome. And the reason why I asked is because my middle name is Yasmin. So I was just curious. I was like, oh, we have very similar names. Well, in Farsi, it's Yasemin. So. Well, but only when I'm in trouble, though. Oh, that's so pretty. When I'm, my mom calls me Yossi, and unless I'm really, I've really stepped in it. So <laughs> you don't hear it very often, but it freezes me in my tracks. Jasmine, because I can't say it in Farsi or else it would sound terrible. But are you ready? I'm so ready. Let's do this. All right, let's get into it. Kendrick Johnson was just your average 17-year-old who lived in Valdosta, Georgia, with his parents, Jacqueline and Kenneth, and his 20-year-old older sister, Kenyatta Johnson. He was a quiet and kind soul, and he was a triple threat athlete. So from what I could find, he played basketball and football, and I'm assuming the third one's track because nothing, you know what I mean, because of the seasons. But football was his passion, and he he went to Lowndes High School, and he was just your normal kid. But then the unbelievable happened. On January 10th, 2013, right after Christmas break, Kendrick just didn't return home from school that day. And his parents were worried because even though he was 17, this was unusual. He was very close to his father and would always call him when he gets home from school because his father was a truck driver. So that evening, his family wastes absolutely no time and file a missing persons report. But of course, at that time, the police thinks he might just be with a girl uh, just because he's 17. And I fully understand that. But man, I wish the response was a little bit more sympathetic. I just, it drives me bananas with these stories. Every time you hear about a missing child and they're like, oh, I'm sure everything's fine. But as a parent, your initial reaction is, I'm telling you it's not fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, most of the time it is fine, but you should at least, you know, just a little bit 
of human compassion would go a long way. That very next day, on January 11th, around 10 a.m., two girls were presumably walking on top of rolled-up gym mats in the high school gym. And now before I go on, let me tell you about these gym mats because we will be talking about them for a while and there was a lot of conspiracy theories about these mats. So usually the school gyms store their mats and, you know, these are the type of thing that you do gymnastics on. And they roll them up and lay them on their side, stacked on one another, kind of like how you would store, like, PVC piping or something like that. And at the school, they actually charge their kids for gym lockers. And a lot of the kids just couldn't afford it. I mean... This is I don't I don't understand this because when I was in school a locker was given to everybody just for the safety of their items. So because a lot of these kids couldn't afford lockers, instead they would hide their valuables like their sneakers, their phone, their wallet, whatever, inside these rolled up gym mats. Because it was easy. They would just stick their arm in and stash it and hide it during gym class. Well, during the break, these mats were cleaned and, and they were instead stored rolled upright, not on their side. Hot dog, not hamburger. Okay. Tell you fold paper. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. This is clearly a California thing. Yeah. No, I know what you mean because they're now straight up. So they were on their sides and they, and they were tall standing up. They were about six feet. But despite the mats being super tall, the kids were still able to store their stuff inside of these vertical mats by climbing on the bleachers and then walking across them and, and tossing it in, which I, I mean, the athleticism, 10 out of 10. These two girls are walking, allegedly walking on these gym mats, possibly to store their own stuff when they made a discovery that probably still haunts them to this day looking down into one of the rolled up gym mats they found two socked feet sticking up from the center and they alerted their gym teacher who frantically started throwing and knocking down all the mats to get to the one that was close to the center the one that the girls indicated and he flipped the mat on its side where he discovered the body of kendrick johnson police were on the scene within the half hour and about an hour after finding the body of Kendrick, the school was on lockdown. I'm sorry, does that seem like kind of a long time to you? It doesn't take that long to put a school on lockdown. It's just an announcement, right? No, it takes a minute and a half. And I know because I lost Rex in, when Genevieve was in kindergarten. He wandered off at Genevieve's school. But scariest five minutes of my life. He was perfectly safe. You can do it even faster with high schools because they have gates. Can I ask what the demographics of that school were and why it took the police half an hour to get there and why it took an hour to lock the school down? I will say this. I don't know the full demographics, but what I do know is that Kendrick is black and the police officers are white. And there is a lot of racial tension in this town in Georgia. So it's the town is racially divided as it is. And so just keep that in mind. I noticed that immediately, like upon like looking up students and doing research, the racial divide is part of the crux of this case. And it's going to come in a little further down the line, but that's a really good question. And Kendrick is black, by the way. So, but upon reaching the scene, police made their first 
move against protocol and the law. They don't immediately notify a coroner as they are supposed to when a body is found. But instead, they work on securing the scene and they do this by securing the scene from the outside in. Later, the police state that they decided to make this decision to not call the coroner right away because they were afraid of a media leak and because they felt that the coroner's job could wait since Kendrick was clearly deceased. Now, this argument makes absolutely no sense to me because why couldn't one officer delegate to the other officers to close the scene and why couldn't the other one call the coroner? I mean, does the whole group need to be on this call? And wouldn't you want the coroner to get there before the media, you know, so that we don't get bombarded? Because I bet you anything, the media at this point already knows because it took them so long to get there. They're teenagers and they have phones and the media is like a pack of sharks. The police then say that they have an agreement with the corners in their area. And generally, they will call them after the scene was secured because um, apparently from what I can gather, the coroners can't enter until the scene is secured anyway. So if this is true, why even start off with the first excuse? And despite what critics of their police work are saying, I always find that when someone is on the defense, they mo they most likely feel like they could have done better. Because if you have to feel like you have to constantly defend, that means you kind of have like an inkling of maybe I didn't do my best job here. And it's, it's a job. Being an officer is a job. It's a huge responsibility to your community. Yes. And not everyone's good at their job. And this is not the job you don't want to be good at. The police claimed to bag and tag everything at the scene. And they conducted witness interviews and he even went as far as bagging a bloody tissue out of the girl's locker room which spoiler didn't amount to anything i mean it's a girl's locker room i mean hello and then when they reached the body they found that kendrick was still on the mat with his outstretched arm reaching for one single sneaker so when the mat was still upright before the gym teacher disrupted where his body was he, he was head first with one arm stretching out reaching for a sneaker that was at the bottom of the mat laying on the floor and the sneaker was sitting on top of a pool of blood and oddly the shoe was super clean with no blood on it which is odd and because if it's if it's in a puddle of blood you expect it to be soiled too and there was even traces of blood on the gym wall nearby so like traces like somebody cleaned it up just from the pictures, it looks like just like like splatter to me. Okay. Okay. And because he was upside down, his body just was not in the best shape. When he was found, even though he was dead for less than 24 hours, his body was just unrecognizable because he was upside down at the time of his death. His face was just bloated with blood and it the blood just dripped out of every orifice. And that's where the pool of blood came from. So the reason why I'm saying all this is because there's going to be some talk about the state of his body. Because within 24 hours or in less than 24 hours, he already, you know, looked unrecognizable. I mean, if it's hot, it's Georgia. And I know there's humidity and and those mats already stink to start with. If it's anything like my high school. Yeah. A lot of the students were saying that it already smelled too, which is just 
those kids, like, I just feel really bad for them. The ones that were in the gym at that time, because it, there was a gym class going on when they, when the girls were stashing their stuff for gym class. But the scene was just had to be gruesome. And to the police officers and to whoever had identified the body, which I later found out his sister had identified a body, it just had to be horrible to just be there and Kendrick had shoulder length dreadlocks and these were also drenched in blood too and so just the whole thing was just like awful next to the gym mat that held his body was a hoodie and a pair of sneakers and this was where the police work gets a little bit inconsistent with the police testimony because despite claiming to bag and tag everything there are two items that some experts argue may have had dna evidence on them and these items were not bagged and tagged and remember, police said they collected everything. They very defensely state in several articles that they grabbed everything. But all you got to do is look at their photographs that they provided to media outlets to see that the hoodie and the shoe was at the scene close to the body. And they never took those in for evidence. And yet the police were just very proud about their investigation to go as far as talking about a bloody tissue they found in a girl's bathroom, which was the result of, I think, a flag girl like getting a normal injury. So this part just makes me mad because they're like oh we did such a great job and it's like y'all collected something that was yards away in another room but you couldn't collect clothes that did not look to be Kendrick's style right next to him it was a Hollister hoodie by the way like when you ask someone to clean your house and you're like or with my kids I'm like did you clean up your toys yeah what what, what is all of this that's exactly what it was like it was like you guys just couldn't like I mean, A plus for spotting a bloody tissue. I probably would have just thought it was just like someone's cycle. I probably would have bagged him like, oh, this is nothing. But you would have picked up the thing that was right there next to the body. That seems obvious. And to make things worse, some people claim there was DNA on it because there was some dark blood-like looking stains on the hoodie. So, and now we, we would never know. I don't think we even know where this hoodie is. And it was a Hollister hoodie. And that was not Kendrick's style at all all for those who don't know Hollister is like a preppy store and Kendrick style is just I don't even know how to describe it he just looks like your regular old country boy but he wouldn't be wearing Hollister so I just found that odd so within 24 hours the police ruled Kendrick's death as accidental do you have anything to say about the 24 hours before I go on because within 24 hours okay okay no, it's so ridiculous. Yes, I shouldn't laugh. It's just so bad that I have to nervously laugh. It's absurd. It's absurd because, I mean, it sounds like from an exterior perspective, if if the body is head down in the thing, yes, it could have been an accident. However, if he was in one of those gym mats, and I know they're heavy, wouldn't he have rocked to try and get out if he was stuck? I have gotten stuck in quite a few things because I have a big butt. And let me tell you, I don't just sit there and go, oh, well, I'm going to die here now. Like, no, I move. I tell my kids not to tell their dad because I don't need his, I don't need his heckling before he helps me, you know? And 24 hours, what, there would have been another classroom in there, another bunch of kids in there. Nobody would have noticed him taking attendance. Oh, so mad. Did you hear just my mom voice come out? Where's, where's the attendance? Sorry. This is all going to come back. These are the questions you and the listeners have to be thinking about because this is what I'm thinking about. So this is the police's 
whole whole hypothesis of what happened to Kendrick. Kendrick was sharing a set of gym shoes with another student, and they both would stash the shoes in the rolled gym mat on that day at 1.09 p.m. Kendrick was on his way to the field house for a gym class, and on his way, he stopped by the gym to change his shoes. But as we know now, he never left the gym alive. In the process of retrieving his shoes, one of the shoes may have slipped to the bottom of the mat. So the police believe that he dove into the mat from the top head first with one arm outstretched, trying to retrieve his sneaker. Because this particular mat was in the center of the other rolled mats, because remember, they're all vertical. He couldn't push the mat on its side. The coroner ruled Kendrick died from positional asphyxia. And as for traces of blood on the wall, it was not a match for Kendrick and police speculate that it has been there well before Kendrick's death. First of all, the school wouldn't clean up blood off the wall. That seems unlikely. But also, I don't think you get positional asphyxia from being upside down. I know you can stroke out from being upside down too long, but positional asphyxia has to do with like someone sitting on you or things like that. Well, I'm also thinking about because of SIDS, if you have a newborn, if they're sleeping, sitting up, they can't hold up their neck that long. What I'm thinking about is, well, maybe their hypothesis is that he squished into these gym mats. And the gym mats, the circumference of the inside of the gym mat is 15 inches. And his shoulders are 18 inches wide. So they're thinking it squished him. How could he have squished himself in there? Mm, you got to... You got to be limp. No, no, no. But you got to be limp to stuff someone who's bigger. Oh, Kendrick's family, like the rest of us, was not happy with these findings. They felt as if Kendrick's case just wasn't getting. And I will have to agree with them. Many people felt the investigation should have taken much longer. And this is backed by the fact that the school didn't even turn over surveillance evidence for several days after Kendrick's death. And mind you, the school is giving them the tapes. And we're going to talk about this later, but you would think the police would seize the tapes, not allow them to be offered up, if that makes sense. So police didn't view the tapes until after they ruled the death as accidental. And Kendrick's parents also argued that if he was stuck in the gym mat, why didn't anyone hear his calls for help? It was one o'clock in the afternoon. He was on his way to gym class himself. So it's like you would think there'd be other kids filtering in. But... There's something else that is scary to the parents, something that I held back from telling you. And I don't usually do this, but I didn't want to mention what I'm about to tell you sooner because the story I told you thus far is how many of the local media outlets are reporting Kendrick's case. But here is a crucial detail that these media outlets left out or brushed aside. Remember when I said it was common practice for the police to call the coroner after the scene was secured? Well, they did not call the coroner until six hours after they arrived on the scene. And that otherwise, besides not calling the coroner, they followed protocol. But the coroner, Bill Watson, 
was not having any of this and he was unhappy with the police work and he clearly states this in his report and i'm going to read it verbatim as reported by cnn who asked for the report which is on public record uh bill says i was not notified in this death until 1545 hours the investigative climate was very poor to worse when i arrived on the scene the body had been noticeably moved. The scene had been compromised and there was no cooperation from law enforcement at the time. Furthermore, the integrity of the evidence bag was compromised on January 13, 2013 by opening the sealed bag and exhibiting the dead body to his father. And this is all from Bill Watson's written report, which he dated January 22nd. He then goes on. This is the slammer. I do not approve of the manner this case was handled. Not only was the scene compromised, the body was moved. The integrity was breached by opening a sealed body bag. Information necessary for my lawful investigation was withheld. End quote. Okay, I've got some questions. Obviously, you're not going to have answers, but like, isn't the coroner supposed to release the body before it's identified? I thought that was the order of operations with this stuff. Like his dad shouldn't have had access to his body before the coroner checked it out. Also, don't they like kind of clean it up a little bit before the family sees it? But also, you know, and again, this is all from procedural dramas that I know this stuff. And or that I think I know this stuff. This is just maddening. So when the mother gets to the scene, um, she gets there as soon as because the whole town is buzzing. There's a body in the school and she's too frantic and obviously upset. So they had his sister identify him and he was still on the mat. So they identified him by his shoes that was next to his body when he died. And that's how his sister originally identified him. Then his dad wanted to make sure it was his son because no one saw his face. And they actually had a rally because he wanted to make sure it was his son. And so he had to go in and identify the body after it was already at the coroner's office. But this I didn't put in my notes because this is just his his word. The father claims that when he when they opened up the drawer or whatever you call it that held his body warm air came out it was not refrigerated <gasps> oh and that that further contaminates the crime scene like it doesn't hold the evidence if it if it's it compromises the evidence that's what i'm looking for but also like bodies need to be kept cold because they don't keep so keep that in mind. He, according to the dad, so I'm just saying this, guys, according to the dad, so take it all with a grain of salt. He thought at first he was just warm because he was nervous. And then he realized, no, there is warm air coming from this drawer thing that's holding his son's body that's supposed to be being preserved for evidence. And we're going to all come back to this because this plays a big part later on. Now, there was a second coroner's report in the file as well, but it wasn't dated or signed. And 
from what I can gather, it mostly just said, I was not called by investigating officers regarding this death until the aforelisted time of notification. So what this sounds like to me is that this was just like Bill's first report, the coroner's first report, and then like he maybe didn't finish it or because it wasn't dated or signed. So to me, it just sounds like a clerical error, but I feel like we should still mention it. But I'm not sure how much weight to give that second report and whether, you know, just because it doesn't seem to have any legal weight to it with it not being signed. But with all of these inconsistencies and questions, Kendrick's family began to campaign for his body to be exhumed and re-examined. To fuel this campaign, they shared a photograph of Kendrick's face and Kendrick looked viciously beaten in these photographs. His face is all bloated and bruised and almost unrecognizable. Now, I did not put the photo in the show notes because I feel like... It's just to me, like, I just feel like there needs to be a graphic warning for that. But the family wants people to see it. So if you want to see it, go ahead and Google it. I don't normally say that, but it's clear that it's part of their campaign to get more more attention on Kendrick's case. And the photo caused backlash in the community. And on May 8th, 2013, a judge granted Kendrick Johnson's body to be exhumed so that way the family can run their own private autopsy on it. So when Kendrick's body was being autopsied for a second time, and this was by William R. Anderson, who was a board-certified pathologist and who worked for Forensic Dimensions in Heathrow, Florida. And I'm nosy, so I looked up his CV to find out if, you know, like how long he's been doing this because he's a private pathologist, you know what I mean? He was first board certified in pathology in 1976. So he's been doing this for longer than I've been alive. And his CV is just jam-packed. So you just, and you wouldn't believe what this expert in pathology found. And now it is time for our neuter mission. So I been listening to Nick Moore Girls for many years. Like, I'm just going to say that many years. I used to walk my dog in the park to get exercise and listen to you guys. And it was like hanging out with friends. It's just wonderful. I love the format of a mother daughter team. Do you ever think about having the third generation? Come on in. Actually, Genevieve just started. She she got her own mic. I know. So it's this is like in the last two months. Are you a few episodes behind? Yes, I'm actually very behind. I can't imagine how when people don't commute anymore and have to stay indoors, it's affected my podcast listening too, in a big way. So Genevieve is officially one of our, one of our regular hosts. She's so good. Sophia, she is amazing. Professional. She has an NPR voice. She asks good questions. Her timing is good. She's funny. And I sound biased because I'm her mother, but this is completely. (laughs) Oh, I don't care. (laughs) You think I care. But she's so good. But she's really good. If you go back like maybe four or five episodes, I think. I may have saw a post where she was on the show or I, I know that she was on it like before, like in the past, but like I didn't know she was a full host i love it i love everything about it and i love seeing her her like knits like i remember i posted about those knitting needles that you you, can you tell everyone about those custom knitting needles you got for her 
Oh, okay. So I was at TNNA a thousand years ago before the pandemic. And I want to say like 2016-ish. And no, it it must have been 2017 because it was in San Jose that year. And I ran into the folks that own Brittany Needles. And it's a family business. And they passed it down to their son and his wife. And Mick Cree, who is Mrs. Brittany Needles, and I were talking and I said, you know, I'd really love to order some custom short needles for Genevieve because all of the kids knitting needles that I've seen have been crappy and plastic and they're hard to work with. Right. And it's like, oh, because you're a kid, you don't deserve nice things. Wrong. Everyone deserves to work with good materials. Brittany needles are imminently affordable. I don't know that they're small business, but they're family owned and it's just them. And they do all the stuff themselves, I think in a bar. And so maybe I'm just imagining it's in a barn, but you know. So she made a bunch of sets for Genevieve because she was on a roll. And so I called again recently and I said, hey, listen, some of Genevieve's friends want to learn to knit. I haven't seen any of these in the stores. Like, is that a thing? Or can I just order some directly? And Mickery's like, oh, I made a bunch. I'll just send them to you because she's lovely. And they haven't quite taken the next step. I'm kind of hoping that like we gently have have them doing because it, they're really good and we have to get kids knitting. If we want to continue to have high quality knitting content, patterns, yarn, podcasts, what else is what else is there? Then you have to have young people doing it. And so you have to get them hooked when they're young. That's what Big Tobacco did really well. I love the taking advice from manipulating <laughs> nicotine, but no, it's true. It's really true, though. That's how you get the next audience. So Mickry sent me a package of needles, and we've been doing like masked playdates with friends. And Genevieve taught her best friend how to knit, and I was going to teach her, but then Genevieve took over, so it's all good, right? And then we had a playdate with one of uh, Rex's preschool friends, and both sisters learned how to knit, and Rex is knitting a little bit kind of here and there, which is how you start a kid. You, you knit with them while they're interested. And then if their interest wanes, you don't push it. You just, when they're ready to come back to it, you make sure it's there and it's, it's findable. So, so yeah, Genevieve's knitting. So we've got these from Brittany. I've got a couple more sets left because we're basically giving them out to kids as we're doing knitting lessons. And it's really fun. I love teaching kids to knit. It is my favorite. But these are amazing, and I really think that they should do a push just before Christmas and just before summer vacation, because that's when most people sit down and knit with their kids, is when they're on breaks from school. That is so cool. And yeah, like when I saw this, I just thought of Bubby and my son, I call him Bubby. Well, I just thought of Bubby, and I was also thinking about how most kids' needles are plastic, and they seem really big, and those make your wrist sore. So that that's why I was like really interested in her needles and what she uses, because they have shorter like arms and like wrists and things like that. So like they do need custom made needles to help knit comfortably. So that's really great. And then my other question was, what does your behind the scenes like look like? So when you record, are you all in the same room together? Or are you separate? (laughs) We are all this is actually I'm sitting in our recording studio. Right now, this is my mom's dining room. We moved here when the kids were little when Rex was little, because it was just too hard to manage all the background noise. We sit, my mom sits across the table from me. Genevieve sits at the end of the table and we're able to look at each other. I run all the equipment, but 
basically the computer's in front of me and everyone else is just chatting at a microphone. And it's really fun. And Genevieve will occasionally get up and like go get herself a snack or a glass of water while we're recording. So there's, if there's a long section where she's not talking, it's because she's gotten up to get herself a drink or something to eat because we're at Ramsey's house. So she's, she knows where, where it all is. She can help herself. She makes tea when we set up to record. Occasionally I'll show up and she's already set up the equipment because she's at that age where she wants to do things herself, which is amazing. And it's just, it's such a, it's such a gift. And I hate to be like, it's such a gift because it feels like too much. But every time we do an episode together, it just, I feel like my heart's going to explode because she always adds this special flair that she's got because she's funny and she's confident and she just I'm so stinking proud of her I'm putting my teacher hat on but I'm thinking about like development and just like gaining confidence in speaking and sharing your opinion something that as girls we weren't taught to do when we were younger at least I wasn't a really old-fashioned family is what I grew up in so it's just really awesome to see that just that I call it moxie because again I talk like an 85 year old woman because I swear moxie was said in like 19 like 40. Moxie is such a good word it's such a good word. I love that word I love that word, but it's like from the 1940s. So, you know what I mean? She just has like that, that like spirit and that moxie. And I wish we started raising girls like that since the very beginning. So that's flipping awesome that you guys are all together and just three generations in the same room and just sharing this one passion of podcasting and knitting. That's flipping awesome. So one more question is, what will your next finished object be? This is the Theano from Subito Farms. I'm test knitting it. This is the only time I've not finished a test knit in time because it's on size zero needles. I will hopefully have it finished in the next couple of weeks. But what I love is the hand of the fabric. Let me see if I can get this on camera. So for those who can't see jasmine's holding up a mustard yellow uh sweater that has a colorful circular yoke gray and white geometric polka dots yeah it is very geometric yeah it's very polka dotty very fun and it's my favorite shade of yellow and because it's on size zeros i think i'll be able to wear it most of the year so it's getting me through right now and also because they're on size zero is that that sweater is going to last you forever. Because that small gauge, it like Genevieve's child might be wearing it. So <laughs> I'm just dead serious. Is it wool? Oh my gosh, it is. So the wool is really lovely. It's, it's their wool. I think it's milled and it's their sheep. And then they have it milled in the U.S. and then they dye it. But it's got this like lovely soft twist and... It knits up really nicely at like five and a half stitches to the inch too, even though this pattern is almost seven stitches to the inch. Why? Why? Because I love this pattern. And is that a DK weight yarn? I'm just curious. You're working on zero needles. So because it's really fluffy, it can be a DK, but the yardage to, so you know how like sock weight yarn is like 420 yards to hundred grams. That's the yardage. So I'm knitting fluffy sock yarn as a sweater oh it's going to be heavenly 
I'm hoping to wear it to Rhinebeck, maybe. So you just, and you wouldn't believe what this expert in pathology found. First, he did not agree with the original cause of death. He found evidence of blunt force trauma on the right of Kendrick's neck, right near his jaw. There was hemorrhages in the jawline that was not mentioned in the original autopsy report. This jaw injury suggests that Kendrick's death was not accidental and was most likely a homicide. So wait, I have questions. Does it say if it was soft tissue or bone damage? Soft tissue. Okay. Because with all the, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make excuses for people who are bad at their jobs or covering stuff up. But when you have blood pooling, because again, with lividity, and the blood going to the head because the body was put in a position where all of the fluids, I'm, I don't know why I'm trying not to be gross about this because this is a true crime podcast. And like, I'm used to cleaning things up for my show, but you have all of the, the blood and stuff that would pool in the head because you have the, as the, as the blood settles. And that's the only thing I could think why they wouldn't notice that, but also wouldn't you run x-rays and things so you could actually see it? And I kind of feel like if there was soft tissue damage, something would have shown, right? Uh. And there was something else. William, the coroner, I think I was calling him Bill, but his, his given name is William. The coroner found that all of Kendrick's organs were missing and the body was stuffed with newspaper. So... The funeral home that handled Kendrick's body says that they never received Kendrick's organs. And so they stuffed the body with newspaper to fill in where the organs were. And I'm assuming this was for his funeral. And everyone found this really weird with some speculating that the funeral home was in on a cover-up. But according to an investigation done by Georgia's Secretary of State's office, the practice of filling a body with newspaper was not a violation of any laws. And I've heard of this before in other cases. It's just really unfortunate when organs get lost and then it's just, they have to fill it up with sawdust, newspaper, anything like that, biodegradable. But where was Kendrick's organs? Georgia's Bureau of Investigation claims that they sent the organs to the funeral home, but Coroner Bill Watson claims that the organs were just too badly decomposed to preserve, so he disposed of them. He states it would have been during or immediately after the autopsy. Remember, Bill is the same no-nonsense coroner who did not agree with the police either and he is just not here for sticking to the state story i i do not agree with him like disposing of the organs because what if he was wrong and now we will never know if he was wrong about them being too far decomposed but you know bill is a real one here saying no the state's lying or is wrong information whichever one it is and that he disposed of them himself 
these conflicting responses to the location of Kendrick's organs didn't help in the community's belief that there was a cover-up. Another conspiracy-fueling event was the release of the full surveillance tapes. Originally, the surveillance videos of the gym mats that were shown to Kendrick's family were odd. The area around the gym mats were blurry and the footage was obviously cut with the students disappearing in and out of frame and the videos weren't time stamped. There was also no video of Kendrick climbing into the mat. So the full footage was not released until November that year. So almost a at the year anniversary of Kendrick's death. CNN hired forensic video analyst Grant Fredericks to analyze more than 290 hours of material from all 35 cameras inside and outside the gym. Fredericks states, those files are not original files. They're not something investigators should rely on for the truth. Uh, the surveillance video has been altered in a number of ways, primarily in image quality and likely in dropped information or information loss. He's saying here is that the quality was dropped, which means that then you can't fully see what's happening in the gym. And he also said there was a number of files that were corrupted because they've not been processed correctly and they're not playable. And he says, I can't say why they were done that way, but they were not done correctly and they were not done thoroughly. So we're missing information. It turns out there is over one hour of footage of the gym missing. Yeah, I wonder which hour that is. Yes, it is that hour in which his accident or whatever happened may have taken place. And Remember when I said the school delivered the recordings themselves? Well, there was a five-day window from when police asked for the tapes to when they were finally delivered. So with all these inconsistencies, Kendrick's family was sure that their son was murdered and that the school was trying to cover up. So in 2014, Kendrick Johnson's family filed a wrongful death suit against Loundis County Board of Education, alleging that their son was violently assaulted and severely injured and that he suffered great physical pain and mental anguish and subjected to insult and loss of life. So to explain that more, the lawsuit also stated that Kendrick was being physically harassed by two students and that the school ignored his complaints. Apparently he told like, hey, I'm being harassed, literally beaten and, you know, jumped by these two kids. And though legally the parents couldn't publicly state the names of who they thought what was responsible. Uh, this didn't stop media outlet Ebony.com from doing an expose in which they described the the two teenagers in which the family believed may have been involved. So though the article doesn't use names, it states that there was two brothers responsible for Kendrick's death, and it's revealed that the brothers are white, athletic, and have a father who is an FBI agent. Of course, it doesn't take the community long at all to identify their brothers as Brian and Brandon Bell, the same individuals who physically attacked Kendrick while on a bus 14 months prior to his death. Police actually investigated the brothers, seizing their phones and computers for evidence at 
3.30 in the morning on in around August 2015, so about two years after his death. And both brothers provided alibis. Brian claims that he was in class, while Brandon says that he was prepping to go to an out-of-town wrestling match. Police do not consider any of the brothers to be suspects. Now, I'm just going to say this and then go ahead, but this school didn't even care that Kendrick was missing from his class. How do I know that that attendance sheet, how do I know that's accurate? Like, no one knows for sure. We mix up days all the time. There's no way to prove that in the court of law. Especially two years later. Two years later. How long do they keep attendance records? Not that long. And two years later, they're not going to have the same computer necessarily. And also, who writes on their computer? I'm harassing this kid. Who's no one's going to take notes in their little stickies? Today, I harassed. What's her name did that? What's her name was Googling shovels? Casey Anthony on her computer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Jeez. But also in 2015, Kendrick's parents filed a 100 million lawsuit against law enforcement. Of Kendrick's classmates, totaling up to 38 people were also included, but there just wasn't enough evidence for their claims, and the case was dropped. In 2016, the Justice Department concluded that there is insufficient evidence to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that someone or some group of people willfully violated Kendrick Johnson's civil rights or committed any other prosecutable federal crime. And I'm not sure if I mentioned this, but because of this, like the two brothers were actually being ostracized. And one of the brothers, I can't remember which one, I think it was may have been Brian, when he went to college, because they were 17, 18 or something like that around this time, his dorm got ransacked. And he said he just broke down and cried after that. Like his room got ransacked? Like someone went in there and ripped it all apart because everyone knew that he may have killed Kendrick. And this was such a high profile media circus case that, you know, which... I hate to say this because I don't know who like who did it or even if it was homicide. I mean, I think it was homicide, but that's just me sitting in my room right now, you know? So, I mean, I don't want to say this, but I also was thinking when he was saying, oh man, I cried about, you know, my dorm room getting ransacked. Why, like, what about when Kendrick died? You know what I mean? Like, like... Whenever I hear about someone talking about how it affected them versus how it affected the the victim, it always makes me wonder. On March 19th, 2021, Kendrick's mother, Jackie, receives a recording of someone confessing to the murder of her son. And the audio has not been released. So you might be wondering, why March 19th this year? Lowndes, I've been saying Lowndes, I can't tell what it is. Lowndes or Lowndes County Sheriff Ashley Polk is reopening the case. And he announced this on March 10th. And he says this will be the first time anybody had everybody's evidence in one place. So I'm planning to go through every bit of it. He goes on to say, if we find a contradiction, we're going to resolve any contradiction. But what's the kicker here? Paul was retired from the force at the time of Kendrick's death. 
And I couldn't find out much about why he came back, but I find it interesting that as soon as he becomes the sheriff and comes out of retirement, I mean, he just immediately goes for this case. Has there been any movement on this? Has there been any movement on this since March? Are we going to get there? Nope. That is the last update, the March update of the reopening. And here's the thing. There could be, but it's just they probably don't want to release information with it being an open case. I honestly don't foresee for the next year or two if anything would come out publicly unless there's a court hearing or anything like that. That's usually when we get all the good details. But I know this case is going to be solved. But just because all the pieces are there, it's just I don't know if it would be as soon as Sheriff Polk would wish it would be. It's really unfortunate that justice isn't, I was going to say distributed, but it's, it isn't equal for everybody. It's the fact that his family has had to incur expense upon expense upon expense while this is going just to get justice for their child. And hopefully, so that other children going forward get justice that is the same as people of privilege. And I really hope they solve this case. And I I mean, the DNA stuff is so galling because this isn't the 70s where... There was no, there was no such thing as real DNA evidence. I really want to talk about this today, but quickly before we run out of any more time, the documentary is called Finding Kendrick Johnson. It just came out the week before we were filming this today. I recommend everyone look at that because there's so many bits and pieces that I just could not cover in the hour and a half that we've been here. I researched this for seven hours and I just had to pull as much information as I can. But if you want to hear it from Kendrick's family and from the community, this documentary is really well done. I will put a warning that because the family did want to show Kendrick's face after his death, there are some graphic images. So just a warning because I'm really sensitive to that and I didn't know. So just keep that in mind. But it's definitely not recommended for family watch, but it's really helpful to get all the information because I just couldn't fit it in. Like I could have a whole 10 episode podcast on this. That's the case of Kendrick Johnson. Because this case is now being reopened, I'm going to have all the information on who to contact. If anyone out there has any information about Kendrick's death or anything at all, just visit the show notes and I'm going to have the number and a link and everything that you need to know to help Kendrick's case. My name is Sophia Talley, and this is True Crime and Knit. For more information, please check out my show notes at www.drunknitter.com slash true crime. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.